Amen. Amen. So good morning, church. We are live. I feel like I've been Martin Tyler on the football for the football fans, you know. We are live, as he says on the football. Uh, I was trying to work out how I could prove to you this is Sunday, the 30th of May. This might make it sound more like a hostage crisis than a church service, but this is the front page of the paper today, the Sunday Times. Uh, Boris Johnson announced he got married yesterday. And if you were hoping to, maybe you worked a night shift, go home and not notice who won the Champions League last night. I've just ruined that for you by that headline, but uh, there you go. In fact, one easy way we could have done it is put the camera out the window because it's actually not raining this morning. First time, I think, for us on a Sunday for a while. Anyway, look, so we are live. This is great. So uh, we would just encourage you to interact. So we mentioned uh, coastlinevideo.online.church. Um, and uh, church online, sorry, get it right. And uh, yeah, if you want to just put a chat comment in there, that's great. It's a good way of us interacting live on the service. I've got my iPad here on airplane mode. So if you're going to try and think about making some sarky comment halfway through, I'm not going to see it on my screen. Okay, I'll pick it up later for my friends out there who are going to make those comments, I'm sure. Anyway, look, so as Sarah said, we are uh, continuing this series about uh, one another. And uh, we want to do this because as the, the body of Christ is being gathered back together, you know, that lovely metaphor that Paul uses about the church being a physical body. And, and for years, I've kind of thought about that being uh, about function, about role, but it's really about life. It's about how the parts of the body support each other, give life to each other, give life to one another. And... Um, just uh, it's important for the health of the body that those individual parts are healthy and how the body responds reacts interacts with each other is important for the health of the body so as we're going into this season where we're regathering one sense uh, physically more often that's the period we're on praise god for it um, we're going to be particularly concerned about how we one another with, an, with one another, if you see what I mean. Uh, Sarah kicked us off last week talking about uh, how we should accept one another. We're going to go on to talk about build up one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, serve one another. And this morning, live, uh, we're going to talk about teaching one another, teach one another. So I've got... Uh, two passages from God's Word that I thought we'd just anchor our teaching on this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, I'm using NIV text. Uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to uh, stick an electronic thumb or your physical thumb if you're on a, the written version, uh, 1 Timothy 4. Uh, they're quite long readings in one sense, and I was tempted to cut bits out, but we're talking a lot about God's Word today, and it gives a lot of context, so we're going to stick with it. Uh, I think this morning. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, uh, NIV text says this, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, 
as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then over to 1 Timothy 4. Verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith with good, sorry, (laughs) nourished on the truth, tell it's life, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And we thank God for his amazing word that's open to us and it's absolutely true and we thank the Lord for it. So every year the Oxford English Dictionary has a word of the year. Uh, In 2016 I think they cheated a bit because it was a hyphenated word and the word for the year in 2016 was post-truth, post-hyphenated, you know, post-hyphen-truth. And it was around because if you remember in 2016 we had It was quite popularly used in commentary about the presidential, American presidential election, and of course the Brexit uh, referendum over here in the UK. And it's defined by the dictionary as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In fact, uh, language experts now say that we live in a post-truth era. That's kind of, uh, well, you've probably heard that comment before. We say your truth is your truth, okay? My truth is my truth. What you believe might be different to me, but that's okay because we can have a different point of view on the same aspect of life. Um, 
we kind of say, well, actually, we're a little bit skeptical of people saying, no, 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 my truth is the truth. We're kind of a little bit critical of that now, society. We kind of say, how arrogant that you've got the truth. How can you say such a thing? Now, this post-truth idea isn't something particularly new. It was popularized a few years ago, but it goes right back to um, a German philosopher called Friedrich Nietzsche. You've probably heard about it. And he argued this. He says it, that humans create the concept of truth. Uh, and, he, and he says, uh, there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. That's what he said. So, do we believe it? Do we believe that? Do we think that's right as men and women of God? Because if we teach one another, surely we have to know what we teach. Surely, you know, the heart of this whole thing is we need to know what we're teaching. What truth are we teaching? I don't think we can believe there is no absolute truth. As men and women of God, I think we can't say that. Let me just give you an example of why I'm saying that. Let's just give you an example from uh, a different part of the world. Uh, over here, I've got uh, a contract. It's a, it's a JCT minor building works contract. It won't mean a lot to a lot of people unless you're in the building trade. Now, if you ever build a house, and we're building a house at the moment, uh, you do one of these. And in this document, and it's quite a weighty document as you can see, it lays out all the plans of what the building's... Uh, you know, the, the planning permission we put in, what the building was designed and all that sort of stuff. It's got some technical data in there about the strength of steels. It's even got in there what plants I'm going to put in the garden, I kid you not. Uh, and it also talks about the price I'm going to pay the builder and also exactly what time he's going to finish the job. So that's my contract. But just imagine... We're in a post-truth era, and he comes along on Tuesday morning when they're back on site, and he says, you know what, Phil, I've been feeling something different about your building. You know, two floors, I feel will be cramped for you. Uh, I think we should make three stories in your house, what do you reckon? Uh, and I've, I've also been having some feelings about the roof. That black slate you've got on the roof, you know, really it's not the in colour, Phil. You know, why don't we do a nice shade of green or something like that, you know? I mean, how bonkers would that be, right? For a start, we'd probably get, have to knock the building down. So post-truth can't exist when it comes to a building contract, and I don't believe it can exist either when we talk about teaching. So we need to know what truth we're teaching. So I think this subject needs some pretty basic questions. You know, I've got some pretty basic questions here. How about a what, why, how, when, and we'll throw in a bit of who and where for good measure. What do you reckon? So let's talk about what. What are we teaching? Well, here's the great news, folks. Yay! We've got a contract. <laughs> we've got a contract. And in this contract, the master architect has laid out plans and designs for my life. And if I read this contract, and if I follow what it says, this contract promises me a beautiful, robust, and firm-foundationed building, if I build it on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the storms of life come along, this house will stand firm. I mean, let's be careful what this is. Let me go back to my building contract. This isn't my house, okay? I can't live in a contract, okay? 
But if I follow what this says, it will help me have a building I can live in. And in the same way, I can't live in this. My faith isn't in the Bible, per se. Be careful what I say here. My faith isn't in the Bible. My faith is in the author, the, the, the heavenly Father, the Spirit of God, the Son, that breathes life into the pages of this book. And if I follow what this book says, I find faith. So when we're talking about teaching one another, one another, what are we doing? We're teaching the truth. Everything we teach and communicate should be found in the pages of this contract, in this book. I need to read this book. I need to love this book. I need to listen to this book. And if I do, I will find life in all its fullness. I'll have a, a dwelling in which my, my life can, uh, can live, the, the place I can live. Jesus says, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the, the counselor who's going to lead you into all truth. And there's the first thing, right? There's a truth to know. <laughs> there's a truth to know. It's not hidden away. It's written for everyone to read. And I know we don't like it sometimes, right? You know, people have said over the years, the Bible is biased, or it's partisan, or it's, it's opinionated in particular ways. The trouble is, the Bible's kind of been what it's always been for a long time. As a society, we've kind of changed our view about some of the positions that are set out in that truth, in that contract. The Bible really hasn't changed. We've, we've changed our position. In many cases, suffered the consequences of that the question for us today as the church though is do we know that truth do we stand on that truth do we appreciate what it says do we believe it if we know it I mean I really can't underline enough the importance of us as a body of men and women of God of knowing what this book says reading it studying it, analysing it, teaching it to each other. I read a, a survey this week. Where I was really, I was amazed, really, amazed. Uh, this was a Christian magazine on a survey on um, uh, millennials who uh, uh, were identified as practising Christians. This isn't everybody, but millennials that, that said they were practising Christians and 51% said they rest, read the Bible less than once a month. I mean, that's shocking. That really is shocking. We need to know this book. We don't have a contract. How do we know what to build? We need to stand on this word, know this word, read this word, live this word out. This is our binding contract. And over the next few weeks, what I've asked to ask the leadership to, team to do, because I know it's hard sometimes to start studying and reading the Bible, we're just going to share some little tips uh, on through the newsletter. We'll do some, some communication on it. And over these next uh, couple of weeks, uh, you'll see little tips and ideas of just to try and get you started on the journey of standing on the truth so you know what to teach. Okay, let's move on quickly because the time is rushing on. Uh, let's talk about why we teach. Why do we teach? 
Well, there's a great example in the passage we read, actually, from, uh, from 1 Timothy. Uh, there's, uh, just in those early verses there, there seemed to be some particular teaching that had crept into the life of that church. Uh, Paul was mentoring Timothy as a leader of the church there uh, and saying that this is a problem needs addressing. So in one sense, very simply, we teach each other to keep each other on track. You know, it's so easy to go off track. So uh, we teach each other to try and keep ourselves uh, in true faith, if you like. And I think just a few weeks ago, I remember saying, saying on this platform, you know, we've got to be careful here because our enemy sows seeds of doubt and lies into our life. You know, we, we're quoted from Jesus saying, you know, he's the father of lies. When he speaks lies, he speaks his natural language. And um, we just... Um, we just need to be careful about those seeds he sows. And, and having an absolute contract to stick with, back to my uh, building contract illustration, we know what the truth is, then we know when we've wandered away from it. So that's one thing. But the second reason why we teach is simply to encourage each other. I mean, I'm sure you've had an experience in your life like I have, where somebody has spoken a word into your life and it's transformed you. It's really lifted your spirits. It's just what you needed to, to take you down uh, a new path. Maybe you were being uh, particularly led, by, again, by the, the enemy to a particular way of thinking or something like that. And just somebody spoke a word in season just to encourage you and bring you back and, and just to lift your spirits. And finally, it's about shaping, I think. That's why we teach. It's about shaping. Again, just from the passage we've read, uh, Paul talked to Timothy about physical training. It's of some value, he says. So don't get me wrong. It's of some value. But, but training in godliness is what really counts. It's really got the value. And I was going to say to you, look, how many of you have been for a run this week or been to the gym this week and not read your Bible? I mean, let's just map it out. That's, that's kind of what Scripture's saying. You know, it's of some value, but surely training in righteousness is of greater value. We need we need to spend time in God's word and we teach from God's word to receive that with each other. Okay, so that's maybe the why. Let me talk about how. How do we teach? Now, there might be a danger already. You're thinking, well, Phil, you're talking about sermons, aren't you? I said, no, no, no. No, it's... And I think this is part of a problem now, particularly with sort of the, uh, because we're all locked down and all that sort of stuff and been locked down, we, we've consumed a lot of online content and we've got into thinking that the way we receive teaching is through a sermon or through a, an online um, uh, video of some kind. And in fact, I would say the opposite. I would say surely the majority of where we get our teaching isn't necessarily from a sermon. I know that might sound me like a turkey voting for Christmas, but here we go. Uh, I would say, look, you know, the majority of what we're uh, receiving shouldn't actually come from listening to a sermon. I think a little bit we become sermon box set binge watchers, haven't we? We've, we've, kind of, we, we, we've kind of said, well, let's just grab a bit from here and grab a bit from there. Uh, let's binge a bit of a, uh, you know, three or four together and just see if we get something decent out of them. Uh, Sarah talked about um, buffet uh, Christians or buffet church. You know, we take a little bit from this source. We take a bit from that source. That was a great godly word. And, and that's, we've all been guilty of that, right? That's kind of what we've become. But that's not how we should be... Oh, well, it's just one way, but it's not the only way, certainly not the majority way, in which we should be teaching each other. In fact, it says there in a the passage. Let me just read that little bit there. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through, notice, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Doesn't mention sermons. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So we teach each other through worship this morning. We teach each other through the amazing songs and the amazing talented uh, worship leaders that we've got. That is one way of teaching each other. Straight from Scripture it says that. But I would also say this. It's about you teaching yourself to a certain extent. Receiving from God's Word. Maybe you've, again, we're back to reading God's Word and maybe following some kind of notes. Maybe that's okay. But, but you, know, just, you know, just read God's Word because you can get a lot for yourself from studying God's Word. I'm grateful for two special guys that God's brought into my life, two, two good friends of mine. And um, we have this little joke that we, we, we drink beer and talk about Jesus. And, and it's been a fantastic thing, right? And we literally do. We go down the pub and we talk about the Lord, right? And these guys teach me. They speak into my life. You know, they speak in, sp- in spades into my life, if I'm honest with you. It's fantastic. Not a pulpit in sight. Not a sermon in sight. It's a fantastic, that's a lovely, wonderful thing that God has done there. And, and I was thinking to myself, and this really came to me this morning as I was just going through my notes. You know, why, why, why does that work? Why does that kind of teaching relationship work? Well, it is all about relationships. This is why we, we talk so much to you about life group. If you want to teach somebody You've got to have a relationship. You've got to have a relationship. There was a, a dear old saint in my old church, bless her heart. Uh, every time uh, I used to speak, and uh, loads of others, it wasn't just me, got singled out, uh, she would come up to us after the service and tell us all the things that we'd said wrong. Uh, you know, this was, uh, you didn't quite mention that, or that your theology wasn't quite correct on that. It was a, a little discouraging, if I'm honest. Um, but bless her heart, she, she would take every opportunity just to, to teach us and to keep us correct. And frankly, I didn't take a lot from it. Right? I didn't, you know, it just became a nuisance, really. I didn't take a lot from it. And I was thinking this morning, why was that? And I'll tell you why. Because I thought there was no relationship there. There was no relationship. I, I never felt that there was any love in, in what was being said to me. And if you want to teach, you've got to love. You've got to love. You can't, you don't have the right to teach somebody unless you love them. Let me say that to you. You don't have the right to teach unless you love them. That is why life group is so important. As we build relationship first, so we get the opportunity to to, to teach, to instruct, to encourage, to bless each other through the truth this is not an opportunity on a platform like this to get a few things off my chest so let me just talk to you about some of my pet peeves about all you lot okay that is this is not the place to do that if i can't be motivated by love out of a desire to want the best for you out of a heartfelt desire for you to be encouraged, to be, you to be lifted up, for your life to be transformed in the love of Christ. If that can't be my motive, then I can't teach. This isn't the place 
to, to be, say something out of, relation, uh, out of context of relationship. It must come out of love. Just go back to that Colossians 3 uh, chapter there, that little passage we read earlier on. I read it there because there's a wonderful context, you know, as God chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentle patience. It goes on to say about that before it goes on to talk about teaching. It talks about love first before it talks about teaching a little bit later. The motive has to be love. We Speak the truth in love, says uh, Paul to the Ephesian church. Uh, finally, let me just uh, cover this then. Let's talk about when we teach. When we teach. Uh, Peter said to, uh, to his readers, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect to love there again. Always be prepared to give an answer. Always teaching. We should, it should be a natural part of our interaction that we speak the word of life into each other. Let's not wait for a sermon on a Sunday morning to, to give teaching or receive teaching. No, I know that's an important part uh, of our church uh, worship. But let's, through the week, in relationship, teach one another out of a heart of love, with gentleness and respect, says Peter. And Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let rest in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And look, it doesn't, as I just close out here, it doesn't need to be a big, long sermon. Please, it doesn't need to be a long sermon. Um, uh, the Lord just gave me a lovely passage from Matthew 8. Uh, uh, you'll know the story quite well, but let me use it in a slightly different way. Uh, this was the centurion that uh, came to Jesus and said, Lord, he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Uh, shall I, uh, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus turned this, he was amazed and said, Truly, I tell you, I've not seen anyone in Israel with such great faith. And Jesus said to the servant, Go, let it be done just as you have believed. Just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus can transform our life through one word. Just one word. So what do we teach? The truth, the truth of God's word. We teach the contract. Why do we teach it? For encouragement, for transformation, for making sure we're staying on track. How do we teach it? Out of love, out of relationship. Who teaches it? You all do. I'm just commissioning you all to become teachers in the life of the church. Where do we teach it? Teach it down the pub. Teach it anywhere. Teach it everywhere. And when do we teach it? At all times, on all occasions. Say the word. Just wait. The Lord gave me that lovely um, enlightenment, really, into that, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the passage we looked about the armor of God. And that sword of the spirit. For years and years, I thought that was just the Bible. And when I looked into the, the, the original Greek behind it, it was that rhema word, that, that now 
that in sort of, you know, that sharp, incisive word. That's what we need. We need that little word in season, that little moment where God just delivers the truth right to the point. Say the word and your servant will be healed. Father, we just thank you for your glorious word. We thank you for the opportunity to teach in love with each other. And Father, we thank you for your glorious word that, that allows us to stand firm on an absolute truth. And uh, Father, we just pray that this week we will spend more time just understanding your truth, Father, and be released in it. And speak that word out in love to, to those you've blessed us in relationship with. In, G- in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.